are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the Lennon and McCartney of Bigfoot, though they're arguably Harrison and Star, Cliff and Bobo. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo, although today it's just welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond with Bobo, because Cliff is evacuating his house and his museum at the same time. The big fires out here on the West Coast. It's real smoky where I'm at also. It's apocalyptical looking. But anyways, we're going to carry on Sally Forth and all that. Keep a stiff upper lip. And we're going to welcome a special guest today. He's a guy I've known for a long time. Um, one of the guys I would respect the most in the field. I met him with the first BFRO expedition. He's a Washington native. Uh, not just born there, but an actual Native American from the Yakima tribe. It's a well-known, well-respected researcher named Mel Scahan. Welcome aboard, Mel. Yeah, thank you for having me, Bobo. Sorry to hear about Cliff, but you know we have to do a lot of things in order to make sure that uh, we thrive and keep on going. Yeah, what's uh, what's the scene? At, are you guys in any danger of fire where you're at? And we just had a, a fifty thousand acre fire. Um, west of yakima that uh, is like around 70 percent controlled right now but uh, uh other than that uh, we had another one about a month ago that uh, actually got into the west valley portion of yakima by near bob and judy gimlin live and uh, i had to go in and check on them to make sure that uh, they were okay because the fire got within about a half a mile where they were at and they were able to stop it uh, and keep the keep the fire within the grass and the sagebrush areas and, and away from a lot of the residential homes in the area. Well, that fire is lucky for its own good. It didn't get in there too close to Bob Gimlin because it would have kicked its ass. <laughs> it was funny too because when I when I was talking to Judy, his wife, uh, she was I was informing her of everything that I was coming across out there, and then you can you can hear Bob go. I don't worry about it. They ain't going to touch us. Just go to bed. <laughs> That's such Bob. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because uh, to Bigfooters, Yakima's most famous for Bigfooters is the home of Bob Gillen and Roger Patterson. But it's also, the name comes from actually your tribe and your reservation there. Give us a little background. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, I'm an enrolled member of the Yakima Nation, and uh, the city itself was uh, named after the Yakima. Uh, but uh, back then, you know, the spelling was Y-A-K-A-M-A, and uh, the city of Yakima spells it Y-A-K-I-M-A. And then it wasn't until recent, uh, within the last 20 to 25 years, that the, they decided that they were going to go ahead and go back to the, the Y-A-K-A-M-A spelling. And it wasn't, wasn't too sure if Yakima was going to change their, change their name as well. Or their spelling. They probably wouldn't just because of the cost of new letterheads and <laughs> all the vehicles. Yeah. Yep. No one's going to get confused between Yakima and Yakima, though. No, 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 I don't think so. And um, yeah, the um, the reservation is just uh, south, southeast of, of the city of Yakima. It's on the other side of the Tandem Ridge. And um, well, the main portion of it. And um, 1.25 million acres and 750,000 of it is uh, timbered. And then the rest is all lowland agriculture area. So we got a pretty good uh, different carpet layer of, of scenery going going on in the Aqua Reservation. And you're one of the 
tribal members that helps manage that forest, all that 750,000 acres? Uh, yeah, I've been employed with the Yakima Nation for 26 years, all within the forestry program. And I've moved around throughout my career. I started with the Forest Service, uh, worked for them for eight years, and I've uh, done recreation, uh, fire, wildland firefighting, and uh, some uh, timber cruising, and then uh, silviculture. So I moved around while I was with the Forest Service out in the woods all the time over there. Uh, mainly out of Carson and then out of Trout Lake. And then I uh, applied for a job for the Yakima Nation and ended up working there for the last 26 years. And the same thing, I moved around in different programs until I finally settled into uh, a, a place where I I loved and had been doing for the last 20 years, and that was timber cruising. And uh, I do volume estimates in a vast majority of other things as well, but I'm, I'm out in the woods for about 75% of the year. Even in the winter, we're out in the snow. I mean, snowshoes, harshness. I've worked in 110 degree down to minus, what was it? Minus 12, I think, with the wind show. Wow. Yeah, it gets hot and cold up there. You guys are in the interior there. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's an awesome forest. And so you run into all the wildlife up there when you're working out there in the woods. Yes, 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 I do. Uh, Wolverines, I mean, just wolverines, deer, elk, bear, and uh, even even a couple of Sasquatches now and then. Yeah, I think that's what people are most interested in hearing about is the Sasquatch stuff. Yeah, I mean, you live in a great spot for Sasquatch. I mean, and that's 750,000 acres. No one's allowed in there but tribal members. Right, and that's one thing that has made me separate from a lot of people is that I'm really the only one that will go out and do investigations or do, you know, go for walks and everything else at any time without anybody else around. We do a radio show on, on the Yakima Reservation, and uh, one of them, his name is, uh, we call him Lone Wolf. And then anytime we get a, a report of anything, we're usually right out there investigating. So him and I are really the only ones that uh, do any type of investigations or any type of outings uh, between the two, three of us that, uh, you know, whoever wants to go along. So 750,000 for two to three people is, is a lot of ground to cover, but it's also your own ground. Yeah. I actually was a guest on your guys' program one day, sat with you guys. And then later on, you snuck me onto that 750,000 acre forest. And that was insane. Uh, I was hanging out with Mel. I was staying with Bob Gimlin. I left there and went down and hung out with Mel and went and did the radio show with him. And then we went back to your house. We were just hanging out. It was a really hot day and we were just chilling there eating lunch or whatever. And your buddy stops by, you work with out in the woods and we're talking and he's there for about a half hour, 40 minutes. We're talking about Bigfoot stuff and then he's getting ready to leave. And he casually mentions, Oh yeah. Um, some other guy you work with just ran into a, a couple of Bigfoots. He surprised him in their daytime sleeping bedding area. That was a co-worker of ours, and um, he, um, you know, that day while he was out in the woods, he was, he'd come across all that, and then he said he, that uh, before that, he was, a couple days or so before that, he was followed, and then he could smell them. And so, and so in the area that he was located in, we had found Bigfoot beds in there before, and so I knew, you know, that there, this was a real high probability that we would come across something while we were out there. And then it was fortunate enough that you happened to be there at that time. So we all jumped in. I remember scrambling around for 
uh, hydrocal, water, I mean, whatever we can get our hands on and then get up there before it got dark. <laughs> and then we, we met up with them. And um, it, it always happens this way, too, is that, you know, I, I, people always tell you, I know exactly where this spot is at. I'll take you right there. And here I am, and you are, and there was, I think there was four of us out there that day. And we're carrying five gallons of water, and we're carrying hydrocal, and we're carrying all this stuff through the woods, and we're following, following uh, my coworker around, and uh, he couldn't remember for the life of him where, where exactly where that was at. <laughs> he saved us 10 minutes of driving to walk around for an extra two hours. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I remember the first time I met you, you were down at the river mouth on the Olympic Peninsula, and I was like, oh, man, there was this big gnarly Indian guy, I'm trespassing. I was like, oh, shit, you know, like, is this guy going to kick my butt, or is he going to get mad at me? And I started talking to you, and you're like, uh, you're, uh, you're there for the same thing I was. You're there for the BFRO trip, and you were a Yakima native. And so I remember, I remember that going, oh, thank God this guy's not mad at me. And, yeah, we've been buddies ever since. Yeah, yeah, I remember. That was that was the first time, you know, on, on, on the on the reservation. It's it's usually not discussed, you know, between friends it is, but when you talk in groups with elders or and uh, large gatherings, it's usually not discussed a lot the, the subject of Sasquatch Bigfoot. And so when I started having my experiences while working in the woods, I had nobody to go to, nobody to talk to about that. And then when the BFRO announced that they were going to do an expedition, that's when I decided, hey, you know, I'm going to go out, try to find out maybe there's similarities of things that other people are experiencing, what I've been, what's been happening to me while I've been at work. When I met you guys for the first time, you, it was you and Matt, and you guys had done an all night road trip because you guys did a, a whole circle travel around the Olympic Peninsula. You guys, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys went right when you should have went left, and it would have saved you like three and a half hours, I think is what it was. And then I was sleeping in a tent outside you guys' motel in the grass area there, and then you guys got up, didn't know I was still there or, or whatever, because we hadn't really officially met yet. And then you guys, and then you guys were off and gone again. And uh, so I was like, oh, well, well, I'll go to the meeting meeting place and, and then uh, catch up with everybody there. And, you know, met Kevin Jones and, you know, a bunch of other people that we're still going out regularly with. And then we got sent to a high camp. You volunteered to take us, a bunch of us up. I remember standing there listening to you talk and introduce yourself and letting everybody know stories and your background and everything like that. And then you shared the funniest thing that I, I could not believe, and I did not know where this was going to go after 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 you had said this. And then you said, "Bigfoot will rip your arms off, and then he will beat him, beat you with them." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and I, you look around at the the other you know ten fifteen guys that were in that small camp, and uh, it was funny to see because you. You had opened up a few eyes, and uh, I, I'm surprised that a few of them just didn't pack up and leave because I, I'm sure nobody wants their arms ripped off and, and, and beaten with them. <laughs> kind of messed with them a little bit. That was a cool trip, man. I mean, we went to that uh, gravel pit, little mine thing, whatever, where we went for the first night. And then as soon as I got out of the vehicle, I was one of the first cars to pull in. We just got that epic scream from the hillside, just full squat scream, just, Wah! like, just 
two in the afternoon, full full volume. That was that was a great trip. Yeah, yeah, they they were all memorable. I mean, uh, you know, people say, do you? They probably paid somebody to do that, to do the sounds, to do you know whatever. But you know, it it's it wasn't that way. I mean, you had to you had to been out there to experience people that have never been in the woods before to the experienced people that have been out there. And everybody was always getting something going on that was not describable to, to, to be associated with other known animals. It was, it was weird, you know? And, uh, and the biggest thing, what you have to do is stand there in front of people and watch their expressions and listen to how they talk when they're, you know, recollecting their story, their, their incident. And then you, then you know the truth. And then that's the only way. You can't do it over the phone. You can't do it uh, over the internet or anything like that. You've got to be right there in person with it to, to completely get that full reenactment of everything. And that's what made your guys' show popular was that you guys were doing that. You guys were going out there to the witnesses and actually, you know, they were showing you these places. Yeah, but like when you hear a Bigfoot scream or yell or roar or howl, like the power and depth of it and just the massiveness of the creature generating, you just can never recreate on a television or a stereo or anything. You know, it's just so, so intense. And people would be like, yeah, me and Moneymaker, like, we drove up there. Some people were like, oh, you guys were all set up. That was all. They had people out in the woods with bats and audio recording. They had some speaker systems set up to blast these calls. And it was like, dude, we just drove the wrong way out here. We just drove for an extra, like, 200 miles. Like, we're not that, we're not that organized. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I, but you got to travel everywhere, and uh, that, that that was that was the best part of it. Seeing you guys not only you know throughout the United States, but you know around the continent, really. Yeah, we went to five con. We we did squatching on five continents. Yeah. What was the the best one? North America. Yeah, for sure. Well, one thing is that we have the road development. Like we have. Like Europe, I mean, Europe obviously has a lot of roads, but there's a lot of people everywhere. In North America, I mean, like Asia is great. Like him, I mean, the Himalayas are awesome, but you got to have a helicopter or walk. You can't just drive around and do calls in this canyon and drive three miles away to another call down that canyon. I mean, you're kind of stuck where you're at. North America, I mean, there's huge, vast wilderness tracks, and then there's logging roads, so you can get around. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, and that's that's true with the reservation. I mean. That's how most of the, the transportation of the um, of the logs out of the woods in, down to the mills and everything like that. We've got lots of secondary and third third uh, roads out there that uh, just about. I mean, you can walk a quarter mile, half a mile, and run into a road in certain certain places. Right. Yeah. So that makes it easy to get around and get to the spots you want to get to. And if there's nothing happening, you can move easily. And but yeah, North America has a lot of action and. Not even so much the Pacific. I mean, where you're at's a different matter. I mean, that place is special. There's 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 great places in the Pacific Northwest, but man, it seems like there's more stuff happening back in the Midwest, like Upper Midwest and the South, in the Upper South. I mean, all up into Massachusetts, there's stuff going on. I mean, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, Ohio, the, those places go. I mean, they just there's stuff going on all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, what what makes it also special or unique is that people that work out in the woods, you know, like like me, that are out there all the time, know a lot of a lot of areas, and uh, the high probability 
probability of them having any type of experience Sasquatch wise is, you know, is going to be larger than anybody else that just goes out for, you know, half hour, half a day or whatever, and then comes and goes back out. It's those people that are in that field that uh, usually have the more and, and probably the, the better experiences than, than somebody that doesn't know what's going on. And then after you do it for a long time, like I have, then you, you, you start to, to understand what's going on out there. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Look at us. Voters come in all forms. When we exercise our right to vote, our voices sound the same. Powerful. Voting is our main identity on election day. Not what we look like or race, sexual orientation, identity, or socioeconomic background. Listen to us. A voter's voice cannot be silenced, and the vote should not be suppressed. No matter the attempts by those who will stop at nothing to alter the course of having a free and fair election. Listen to the voice of the young first-time voter. The voice of the disabled voter. Listen to the voice of the experienced senior citizen. The voice of the disabled military vet. The voice of a teacher, single mom, artist, entrepreneur. Watch us exercise the right to vote. To have a free and fair election. Watch us use our vote and let no obstacle stand in the way. Watch us vote as our voice. Call or text 866-OUR-VOTE for more information on your voting rights. Now, Mel, because when you started out in the forest, you were vehemently thought that all the Sasquatch lore was just things, tall tales to keep kids behaving and not running around at night, right? Right, yeah, because uh, as a kid, you know, it's openly talking about when, when like, is it within your family units. I used to go out to uh, my spend my summers when I was younger, under under the age of fourteen, with uh, my great grandparents, and uh, we used to. He used to have this one spot of his own right near the Klickitat River and uh, right in this nice, dark, deep valley. And, and uh, so we, we would spend all summer out there. And you would hear the, all the forest noises, the elk bugling and, you know, everything. But I never really heard anything as far as Sasquatch uh, that I can re- recollect that the sounds that I hear now, the screaming, the howls, the wood knocks or anything like that. But uh, he, he would always tell us, the, tell us to stick nearby because uh, they would come into camp or come around camp and then they would pick us up and take us into the woods and we'd never be seen again. Did they have any specific stories when you were kids? Like Harry's grandson or like Harry's grandfather's brother when he was a little kid, you know, 80 years ago got snatched by one. Did you ever hear like specific, like there's always like, like, you know, generalized stories, but did you ever hear any specific instances like named individuals that had uh, bad encounters with them or got snatched up? No, nothing like that. I've I've known I've had a couple of coworkers share stories with with me when they were younger younger boys of them luring, trying to lure them or their brothers or, or other other uh, siblings away from the main camp or from uh, uh, wherever where they were supposed to be, and um, the parents would always have to go out there looking for them and would find them. And then each each story was the same where they were they'd always say, well, we thought it was you. We thought you were telling us to follow you out out this direction. And so that's what I was doing. You know, the stories like that are the prominent ones that 
that these kids are always telling uh, the parents and then uh, they're shared with their friends that, uh, that, you know, they get lured away for some odd reason. And what, what happens to them after that, you know, who knows? Was there like missing child reports up there and stuff like that back then? Uh, not that I can recollect. No, no, nothing like that. I don't think it's always nefarious when they're leading kids or people out into the woods. I mean, I know it's scary the thought of for a parent or an adult that, or as you, you know, you get older, you look back and say, man, I, that thing was luring me out in the woods. But I've talked to a lot of people that have had that happen and, you know, they, they nothing happened. You know, they, maybe it's like a, an adolescent one trying to get them to come play or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. And then um, the other part of that is, you know, the missing overdue people that uh, end up spending the night or end up out there multiple nights until they're found. Uh, just uh what was it? Two years ago, we had a, a tribal member who uh, had some health conditions and a vehicle broke down. They found the vehicle, but they did not find him. And he ended up trying to cross country over to a known area where he, uh, if he stuck to the road and walked out that road, he would have been fine. But uh, he was out in the woods for, I, I want to say, almost seven days before he was located. And um, he started telling his, uh, his inter inter intermediate family of uh, multiple Sasquatches that would come around him uh, during the evening hours. And not necessarily uh, hounding him or, or uh, causing him harm, but uh, more, as, as he said, as uh, protecting him to make sure that he was okay. And uh, I've been trying to catch up to that, that person, and uh, uh, I keep getting told that, well, yeah, he'll talk to you when he's ready, but he's not ready yet. So, so eventually, one of these days, I may get to you know, sit down with him and talk to him about that event. I want to sit down on that one. That's, that guy's got to have some stories. <laughs> yes. You know, speaking of stories, there's one I, I've told many times over the years is that you were with me. When I took you guys to my secret spot that time, when you were down in California, you came down to the Redwoods. Yes. And we were walking out that night. You had the you had the auto recorder. You had your auto recorder on you. And we were, as we were walking out, we were going lights out, heading back because nothing had happened. Or did it? Yeah, we had some stuff happen the night before, I guess. But that night, nothing had happened. And we were walking back out, and all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. Right. Yeah. You were in the you were in the front of that to to be, to experience all that. We were. We were like about a half a mile from you. Oh, yeah, I thought you were right there. Uh, no, you were you were with because uh, we had taken a, a group out, and um, you were with somebody else, and um, I was the next person in line to follow you down that trail, and then I got the orders to stay back and give you some room room between each each person, and then um, you got on the radio and said, "Mel, get down here because you got the recorder." We got action going on here, and you, you were hearing talking or chattering or something like that. Oh, dude, it was, it was the Sierra sounds, just like the adjective, like the adult with some young, young ones mixed in. Like, they're all screaming at us and yelling and chattering and the samurai chatter, and it was five minutes just cacophony. Oh, I thought it was you because there was someone, someone with me had, we had, a, we had like a, a cheap little cheesy recorder. When they yeah. thought they hit record, they'd hit the power off button on accident. So they thought they were recording the whole time. And it was because we were in the dark. There was no lights on. And right, right. I thought that was you that hit the that actually hit the wrong button. 
Uh, no, no. Uh, I forget who you were with, but uh, there, I, you were leading one of the guys that the head of the, the expedition that, that signed up for that. And then I was, I was with the next person away from you. And then when we finished up and started talking about the whole thing, then we, you know, walked everybody back out. And then we uh, ended up going, hiking back in there and camping out for the night. Remember that night we heard him creep up. We got the smell overpowering smell. Right, right, right. Yep. I still, still, I still tell that story to this day. I mean, it crawled. I mean, we could hear it. What do you think it was? About 25 feet from us? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that far from us. And, you know, you know, with the downdraft and everything at night, with the cool air dropping, you know, they were above us. And I, I remember, I remember, <laughs> this is what I also remember about you during the early days, too, is that you always said what lures him is bacon. And we took like two to three pounds of bacon in there. We started frying bacon to put the smell in that, the smell in the air. <laughs> and it worked. And it worked. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Bobo secrets. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, another time I, I always, people always talk about the smell of smell. And honestly, I, I haven't smelled that many times. And a lot of them have been because I had such bad seasonal allergies that in the summer, spring, and when I'd be out there the most, I'd be clogged up a lot. But I smelled it that time really strong with you and Robert that night when we slept out there. And then another time I smelled it was when you took me up to the uh, Yakima Reservation up to the forest where your coworker had had that encounter with the Bigfoots with the two nests. When we were talking about that earlier, it didn't even come up that when we got out of the trucks that day when we parked, we got knocks and smells right there. We got paralleled in and out of the forest that day. And you guys were all nonchalant, like, yes, it's how it goes up here. And I was like, Dude, we got Bigfoot's right next to us. It's just a killer. And you guys were just all, another day, another, you know, just none of you guys were excited about it at all. You're like, yeah, they're there. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty much well how it comes down to because uh, usually when we take a witness back up to their spot, we remember how far away from the last report that we got in the area. And then once you start building this data over the, you know, the 15, 17 years that I've been doing this on the reservation, then you start seeing little, little areas that they, they congregate during, during certain times of the month. And so the area that we were in two weeks before that, we had another coworker had the almost the exact same experience. And he had uh, uh, forest debris, like pine cones and sticks and stuff like that were being tossed at him. So anytime anybody goes into the woods now, this is the way it used to be is that they would come to me and ask me, I said, well, we're going to be so-and-so we're going to be in this place right here. What are the chances of me running into something or something following me that I would, they would point it out on the map. And I was like, Oh yeah, you'll, you'll get followed today. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> and so I was that type of knowledge for all, you know, just about every member that, that would come to me and, and they would always ask me, um, if it was okay to go into this area or am I going to be bothered? And uh, that's what happens when you have that much acreage to yourself and collect all that data and, 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 and kind of, uh, you know, call it that whole area your home. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Voters, it's time to know your rights. Know that history is on your side. History has given you the right to vote. 
See yourself during the most important election of our time. See yourself casting your ballot and not letting anyone or anything stand in your way. See yourself as the voter with the most powerful voice. The voice of the young first-time voter. The voice of the disabled voter. The voice of the experienced senior citizen. The voice that is black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American. The voter that is straight, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, non-binary. You are the American voter who cannot be suppressed. It's time that you know that casting your ballot isn't difficult at all. You just have to know your rights. Voters, you have the right to a free and fair election. That's why your voice will not be suppressed. Your vote is your voice. Call or text 866-OUR-VOTE for more information on your voting rights. So growing up, hearing the stories, what's the Yakima Nation's like traditional beliefs about the Sasquatch? And what do you call it? Yeah, there's various names. And uh, there's uh, the Tetathea for the, the female. Um, and then there's also uh, Koalima. The female is the Koalilima. Koalilima, the two L-L-I. And uh, so there's, there's, you know, probably three or four other dialects in there that uh, we are Indian name for, for Sasquatch. Like what was the traditional you know, beliefs on them or knowledge. We all live together is the way it used to be. All, you know, the Sasquatch and the Yakimas, you know, we live together, we traveled together, uh, and, uh, you know, we hunted and we gathered together. And uh, so that that has always been our belief. Uh, it's, it's still kind of like that, too, when we end up going to the woods and all like that uh, for hunting or for gathering that if we see or know that they are in the area, whatever we've hunted or gathered that day, we're supposed to leave it behind because basically what you're doing is, is you're taking food from them that they, that they thrive on while they're there. And uh, you wouldn't want anybody coming in, into your home and rumbling through your, your lunchbox or your, your refrigerator and, and walking away. So. It's it's basically the same same belief there is that whatever you see out there or collect out there and they're there, then you just leave it there and then and then leave. That makes sense because hunters get confronted a lot. Like they get uh, and even guys that don't believe in Bigfoot never give Bigfoot a thought. They'll have an encounter where you know Bigfoot chases them out of a deer blind or something deer stand, and they're like it wanted it didn't want like they could sense it like you know nothing spoken but they're like. It did not want me. It got the message across that it did not want them there taking their food, and it probably happened back in the old days too. Even if you were just gathering pine nuts or berries or roots, you know, I mean, I'm sure that that back when people were really feeding on that a lot, like when your tribe was living off that, like you know, thousands of people, they probably would probably confront them about that too. I'm imagine. Yeah, I've I've gotten a lot of stories from hunters that would. Uh after they've downed an animal and they were going after it to, to recover it and process it. Uh, and if it was a long range shot, then they would walk up into the area where they thought the animal was, and then would find the drag mark or something was pulling it away. And would, you know, and at the time, you know, you would think it was a, you know, maybe a bear or, or a, a cougar dragging, dragging your, your kill away. But, uh, it was uh, Sasquatch that would drag it away, and then, you know, it was him that would throw it over his shoulder and then take off and then, you know, take it for his own. 
And uh, that's why I always I always call them an opportunist. And uh, if they have that opportunity to you know, collect something that uh, they don't have to hunt down or uh, you know chase down themselves. You know, it's it's right there for you. And uh, they they also do that with the, the fishing too. You know, if, if you're out on a boat or you know along the rivers and stuff like that, the same thing follows. Is that if you're fishing in the river and everything like that, and you come across the same thing. You just leave your fish right there for them. Have you ever done that? I've taken salmon up there a couple of times and dropped it off in a, in a couple of piles. Uh, but uh, uh, whether you know it was Bigfoot or you know other animals that had come along and took them, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I've left them food, a lot of food on the Columbia, or on you bring the fish back to the res and bring it up in the mountain. Yeah, uh, we the Klickitat River uh, starts up at the, the Goat Rocks, and then it stays on the the western portion, the western half of the uh, Yakima Reservation in the forested area, and then it stays on the eastern slopes of the Mount Adams as it uh, flows south into the Columbia River. And so that's the main river right there that a lot of the salmon are getting reintroduced to. And uh, so you've got trout, and, and then you've got the lakes also. And so um, I've uh, gone ahead and, you know, left the, the fish and stuff there for them, I, I, you know, like I said, just a couple of times. Yeah, I've left stuff for them, and I'm, I never know if they've ever got anything I've left. You know, I mean, a lot of times I've found it, it was, you know, you find like where like a raccoon chewed it up or a fox or a bear, you know, or something. I've, I, don't think, I don't think they've ever taken something from me, but. We had a sighting on the reservation by a, uh, a fire lookout. Uh, over a decade ago now, and uh, she would leave food out on on the deck for the uh, the deer and the elk. She left an apple up there, and uh, so she was feeding something that she thought was a deer and elk. But eventually, turned out that she was uh, leaving apples for Sasquatch because they kept coming around. She would hear them off in the distance. She would smell them, and uh, she would uh, hear them walking around the cabin where she was staying and but near the near the fire tower well after we got the story and everything and she described it to us and then told us what direction that it had traveled off away from her we decided to see if this was like a main area that it would return to so we took small pint jars of, of, of canned salmon and um we uh left one sealed unopened with the ring still on then we took one and we removed the ring partial so that it could whatever it was could take it off unscrew it unscrew the top and then we took the third one and then we removed the lid uh, and and the seal the seal lid and the ring and left it open so that they could see how to open it if, if, and uh when we came back three days later all the jars had been opened. And so without us, you know, to me, that's exciting. But to, but to, to other people, it was like, well, how do you know it was them? And I, I, I can't say, you know, 100% that it was them, but nobody else knew where we were at when we did this. And, uh, you know, the possibility of somebody coming across it and finding it and, and doing that. And, uh, but nothing, not, there were no claw marks. There were no teeth marks in 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 the canning jar lids, and um, there was nothing was bent and nothing was uh, broken. 
and all the contents and stuff had been emptied out. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 